0: Grrrr. <groaningly> Hello and welcome to Tonebenders, where we talk with the sonic artists behind our favorite films, series, and games. Today we're going to be talking about the delicate art of capturing the sounds of the animal kingdom, from dangerous creatures to the cutest creatures imaginable, and everything in between. We have two fantastic guests to walk us through their experiences with field recording animals. First up, joining us from Malmo, Sweden, we have Mattia Chilato. He has produced three volumes of amazing animal recordings called Animal Hyperrealism, parts one through three. These libraries are invaluable for my own personal work. It's great to meet you, Mattia. How are you doing today? Pretty good, thank you. Awesome. We also have Dmitry Chernoff with us from Moscow for this talk. Dmitry has a few animal-based sound effects libraries, including ones covering wolves, that is amazing, and the surprisingly evocative guinea pigs one. Welcome, Dimitri. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, Thank you. And with me, as usual, we have Rene Coronado, my co-host. Rene, what's going on? Hey, hey, how are you? I'm doing really great. Maybe, Dimitri, let's start with you. How did you get into the
1: idea of recording the wolves for your sound effects library? It was 2018 when I decided to do some sound libraries. I have uh, just a post-production background. Uh, I even did uh, some uh, location sound. But uh, I decided to just uh, try something new in my life. And I decided that recording nature is what I really dreamed of. So uh, in summer of uh, 2018, I made it to... Uh, week A journey uh, to the northwest of Russia. It's uh, close to the border with Finland. So I did this Karelia series of summer recordings, which turned out into two sound libraries. Uh, one is the uh, forests and meadows, and the, the, the other one is the lakesides. But it's more like about birds and so on. Then uh, I decided that I want some animals. And likely uh, we visited uh, the Darwin's museum, in Moscow or with my uh, kids, and there was ad- advertising that there is a series of lectures about wolves. I attended all these lectures, and it was a gathering of fascinating people, uh, the explorers of wolves, people who make uh, sanctuaries for wolves, and getting in touch with them uh, was so intriguing that uh, it was absolutely clear that I need to do this library. So you went to a sanctuary for that? It's a sanctuary or a shelter, the place where the founders, they are just married couple and uh, their sister. They decided to save wolves that were once kept by people. And these people uh, thought that all wolves, uh, may be pets or toys, uh, keep them at their homes. Uh, of course, they couldn't cope <laughs> uh, with carnivores with dangerous animals uh, that need space for their uh, life. They can't live in normal uh, people's homes. Also, they uh, picked up some animals that were exploited uh, for filming or some other stuff. So they saved these animals. Uh, They can't reintroduce them back into nature, uh, can't let them back into forests. Uh, They don't know how to hunt. So they made this place where these wolves are kept at best conditions, best food, health care, and so on. Everything is private and uh, lives on donations from just uh, common people. No uh, help from uh, any uh, for-profit organizations or from the state. Just uh, pure enthusiasm.
2: Yeah, that's very cool. That's that's very similar to the situation that Melissa Pons described with her wolf recording yeah, expedition. Yeah, yeah. and um, yeah, that's great that there's uh, there's something like that up there in the north of Russia as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Mattia, do you want to talk a bit about how you deal with uh, what people call gatekeepers, like getting access to the animals? Because uh, you've got a wide range of animals in your library. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> unbelievable.
3: Yeah, definitely. I gotta say, it's a lot of uh, trial and error there. Uh, but I pretty much never say you no know, to anything uh, like ahead of time until I see what the, the the situation is but I've worked with the animals trained for movie productions I've worked with animals uh, uh, that well they're simply in, in zoos and I'm just kind of there as a visitor trying to the same way that people take pictures record sounds and uh, anything in between you know uh Animals owned by <laughs> friends, or stumbled across uh, while going for a run, or something like that. Maybe I can kind of talk a little bit about the two extremes. Uh, so, in the case, for example, of uh, Animal Hyperrealism Volume One, I went to the U.S., and that was uh, the the first time that I spent, <laughs> or yeah, that I that I spent that much time and invested that much money in a trip that I think lasted 3 days so I I was almost uh, more on on a plane than I was on the ground <laughs> in the US but uh, I I arrived in uh, Los Angeles and stayed there for a day and a half this was of course planned uh, well ahead of time about like 6 months ahead uh, I I visited uh, um a location where a lot of animals are kept to be trained for movie productions and so on and so forth. And uh, that was one of the extremes of, uh, you know, highest level of preparation when it comes to the expectations of uh, which animals I could find there and so on and so forth. Despite the fact that that rarely pans out the way that you think it would. For example, I went there to record a bear and, you know, there, there was a uh, an agreement that, that that it could be possible but when i arrived uh, it was pretty much uh, discarded like from the get go but then i ended up recording a camel there so <laughs> you know you, you you win some you lose some uh, and uh, that was kind of a lot of preparation but not a lot of preparation with regards to understanding the animal so it was the first time that i that i invested that much and I think looking back, I could have played it a little bit better. For example, later on, I did something that was a lot more local when I was living in the UK. So still in the UK, I ended up recording uh, lions with a uh, lion tamer, the last one in in the UK, which uh, is of course a very different career from what you may imagine thinking about that term and thinking about what it meant in the you know 80s or uh, or even 90s potentially. Uh, regardless, uh, in that case, for example, I shipped uh, my blimp to the lion tamer. Uh, they got uh, well. He allowed the, the the lions to kind of get used to the idea of having a blimp around. And when I showed up, there was almost no interest in my presence. Other times, uh, the 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 situation is completely random in the sense that I will just uh, go on Google Maps, write zoos, animal parks, or whatever else see what's open on which day, show up <laughs> and hope for the best. And uh, most of the bird recordings and so on and uh, yeah and so on are are gotten that way because uh for birds you don't need extreme preparation. They're one of the few animals that if you play a video from YouTube uh to them they you have a strong chance of a of a response. So yeah I guess depending on the animal there's a, a variety of uh, preparation you can do. And when it comes to you know getting access to those things to to the parts, the the right areas that's again just pretty much uh, doing research and uh, trying to get in touch with the uh, with the right people before you engage with, with a, an individual you're feeling confident about the welfare of uh, of the animals and yourself to an extent because you know if you're working with lions you don't want uh, situations that are slightly sketchy to <laughs> to arise since uh, you know slightly sketchy it sounds like it may leave a margin for something to go wrong so yeah it's a, it's pretty different so yeah <laughs>
2: when when you're making that first phone call to a stranger that is in control of a bunch of animals what's the pitch what do you say how do you introduce yourself and and trying to try to describe to them what you're looking to get done so that they will actually allow it to happen
3: yeah that's that's a really good question if it's someone that works in post-production or you know, someone that trains animals for any form of uh, linear media production, I'll try to explain it as if that's what I was doing. Meaning I will say I I need to record vocalizations, I will record video, because I always get video for, you know, for posterity, to document everything, and so on and so forth. Uh, And that's fairly easy, generally speaking. It's often hard to explain how much sound matters to me compared to someone that is a visual person and how little visuals matter to me compared to a visual person. So with regards to that, it's often funny because uh, someone may say, oh, absolutely no way. No, 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 no. Where I am, there's just, it's, uh, the, the room is too dark. Um, it's all covered in <laughs> panels that are made of foam. You'll hate it. And I'm thinking, whoa, 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 <laughs> it sounds perfect, actually. <laughs> please, <laughs> uh, please, yes. Um, and other times, if if it's a zoo, generally, it's fairly straightforward. I think that the one thing that I want to get across when I get in touch with a zoo is for them to understand the size of the kit that I'm about to bring. Because it's not like, uh, you know, an 80-40 uh, or something fairly small and contained that an animal could not tell from a round cell phone. <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty large and sort of potentially intimidate, intimidating rig. So even if I get permission, of course, when I approach the animals, I pretty much start pointing the the, uh, the blimp at them from 30 meters away and slowly and calmly walk towards them and see what the reaction is. If there is no reaction, then I know that it's more or less okay. And if they start to go away, then I know that it it may be me and maybe the blimp, but the combination either way doesn't work. So I can kind of, uh, you know, look for something else, I guess. And then, yeah, I guess uh, since I moved to Sweden, it's even more complicated because there's a language barrier as well as the weirdness of the task at hand. So In that case, uh, having someone that can introduce you can uh, go a long way. Uh, But generally speaking, yeah, if I'm going uh, at a zoo, for example, I'll just ask whether it's not okay to show up with a blimp. And if it is okay, then when I'm there, I already have the recorder. So what I do is normally I try to chase all the, the keepers and uh, see if anyone knows about any habits that animals may have. Uh, get information over feeding times and how animals tend to react to that. Uh, a lot of those things uh, are almost impossible to plan because you cannot really get on the phone with a with a keeper beforehand and say, "Oh, I'd like to know you know the the rhythms of uh, of, of your pigs or whatever else." <laughs> so that's kind of how it tends to work. It's uh, on the phone is pretty hard. Via email is even worse. But in person, it's the best. Only
0: thing is, you need to get to the point where you are in person. That'll be the subtitle of this episode,
1: The Rhythm of Pigs.
2: Uh (laughs) Dimitri, when you were approaching the wolf sanctuary, what did did you tell them?
1: Uh, Really, I worked with uh, sanctuaries mostly. I've been uh, at the foxes also. And I plan, I hope. uh, I have uh, a history of maybe more than a year of uh, negotiations uh, with the sanctuary for little bears. They uh, pick up uh, just born uh, little bears, uh, mostly in winter. They uh, appear because uh, some hunters kill uh, uh, their mother. And although there are laws that protect them, still every year there are a a number of little bears that appear uh, motherless. And the sanctuary picks these bears and uh, lets them grow up uh, and go to the forest. They reintroduce them back. So talking with such people and such organizations uh, is rather difficult, is they are rather closed. Uh, they uh, all uh, say that they are not zoos, so they keep attendance to the minimum, possible minimum. If I say that I am a guy uh, who has some connection with cinema. That will scare them definitely because they had uh, their relations uh, with uh, fuel companies that come with uh, all the equipment or uh, 60 people and so on. So they say no, 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 no. So I say that I'm an enthusiast, uh, a private guy who just loves recording. This is true. When I do these libraries, it's just my private project. So, uh, and I try to uh, explain that I uh, respect all their uh, uh, rules, all their uh, relations with animals, and I'll abide uh, to all this. With the wolves keepers, uh, there were maybe two or three preliminary visits. They wanted to see how wolves will react at me and how I will behave with the wolves. Because there were guys that came and uh, with the... Uh, intention to show the wolves that they're the real machos. They'll show that wolves who is the master of the (laughs) universe. (laughs) Uh, But I succeeded to show them that I will uh, really respect the animals, that I will uh, try to be as inobtrusive as possible, just like a tree or uh, just a part of the landscape. And I will uh, just observe and try to record without uh, real intrusion. Uh, wolf keepers really believed me. And it ended up that uh, they left me for a week, they gave me the keys, and I was the only person for a week. They came (laughs) just maybe two times. Uh, I rented a room uh, in in, in the nearby village, and I came to the wolves every uh, afternoon, stayed uh, for a night, gave them food. Through this week I really developed uh, some relations uh, with the animals. And they let me in their community.
2: That's the thing with animals. If you spend time with them, then they get used to you and they start talking to you. It's very, very difficult to come up to an animal as a stranger and ask it to start talking to
1: you. Uh, That's why uh, with the wolves, uh, I was able to record their interactions in the pack, in in pairs and in uh, larger groups. I uh, physically was in the center of their life because uh, they are situated in the enclosures and there is a central enclosure uh, in which I uh, placed my mix and uh, observed them. Wow.
0: Do we want to talk a little bit about equipment and uh, philosophies of recording for a little bit? Uh, I know, for instance, Mattia, you uh, are recording at some pretty crazy sample rates. Do you want to talk about your mics and uh, your philosophy behind that?
3: Yes, let's do it. So when I started uh, recording animals, I wanted to bring the same approach that I had on other libraries that I previously worked on. And uh, since I found uh, a lot of uh, joy in uh, discovering hidden treasures when using mics like the Sunken Co. One Hundred, I thought, let's do it. Let's try to make this work. And from there on, it was a bit of a chain of uh, of events that led me to have a setup that is probably Quite convoluted for the task at hand because generally I think field recordists run pretty light for recording animals. At the moment, for example, if I start with the idea of having a sunken CO100, which is the, the origin, um, I had it coupled with a 8050, which made sense to me because, of course, uh, you want the, the, the crispiness of, a, of a, the, the, the CO100, but you also want the directionality and control, dynamic control of uh, the 8050. Then I thought a lot of sound libraries for animals are not stereo. So let's put a couple of 8040s in there and create a stereo image. And so that's already four mics. And uh, from there on, it became a little bit of a kind of, yeah, out of hand type of thing in the sense that for the second one and yeah, for, for the second one, I started uh, using these mics that are called a CMPA uh, from Avisoft, which are made for scientific uh Uh, research on uh, birds and uh, I believe bats so they are very much uh, ultrasonic uh, focused and they go up to 200 kilohertz which meant okay well recording at 192 on these doesn't make any sense I mean it kind of makes sense but you're clamping the signal so heavily that you're really you know if you think about how much they cost, you're using kind of 10% of uh, what they can do. So I had to get my hands on a 384 kilohertz recorder. (laughs) So, you know, imagine every every single bit of equipment that I'm talking about goes into a bag and all of a sudden you have someone in a zoo that when a monkey calls you see them running, but it's very cumbersome to run with this kit. So, it's a it's a pretty <laughs> crazy. I've done it for for a number of animals because I thought it was really worth it, especially for for birds, but strangely enough, even for crocodiles I got really really good uh, results. It's not like of course the signal is not purely ultrasonic or ultrasonically focused, but uh, because they have a lot of kind of I guess chuffing type of uh, of sounds, um it, it really helps uh, kind of even out a signal that otherwise would be quite low frequency focused and that's how you tend to hear it in in other libraries. This is kind of the kit that I work with uh, at the moment. Sometimes I carry with me micro Uzi's just because they can get where sometimes other mics cannot get and I'm more confident leaving those behind in say a bat enclosure or something like that just in case uh, they get too, too humid or whatever else. Since the 80s, 40s, I've had uh, uh, a number of experiences where humidity was not exactly friendly to them. Not only they help me getting the sound that I want in terms of uh, you know stereo image and uh, extended spectrum, but they also help me to manage. Uh, spaces meaning that if I don't get the proximity that I normally aim for uh, with the 8050 I can try to get a little bit more direct so I can you know fade out uh, the sunken tails a lot more dramatically than I would on uh, that kind of mic and so on and so forth so that's kind of my happy place at the moment when i'm out in the field and that's my unhappy place when i come back home and all of a sudden i need to <laughs> noise like a billion files but uh yeah it's a uh, it's that i feel like it's uh, you know the devil that i know at this point but at the same time uh, it seems like uh, the the recordings are enjoyed and uh, i i don't really mind taking the time to to clean everything up and uh, try to get the best possible result uh, by using as many mics as i can uh, fit on my on one hand <laughs> and still that's be mobile because <laughs> that's about That's so
2: like how i work too like i will throw a thousand mics up sometimes and just kind of see what mixes and matches i'm looking at the spec on this cmpa yeah. frequency range on this thing is from 2k to 200k so yeah and it's like the size of an xlr Correct. Like yeah, big... yeah, yeah.
3: And it's uh, it's funny how it does get signal even uh, below uh, two two k's, but it's uh, it's very strange. It's it's unusable for for all that matters. But it's not unusable in a way that you'd expect. Meaning, I thought that it had simply a high pass, but no, it kind of like clicks in very strange ways. So it's like it has a cricket inside of it. Yeah, so <laughs> that's wild. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's a pretty strange mic. Now, I, of course, I have <clears> two <throat> because. Because I have a problem in case you haven't been able to tell by now. Do you time
2: align everything in post? Or uh, or do you just kind of like set all the capsules on an equal uh, path?
3: I I used to try the the, the latter. But uh, normally what I do now is uh, I, I do time align depending on the content. For example, if you don't time align the recording of a territorial call of a lion... Uh, I find that you get a lot of uh, the the power kind of dissipated and all of a sudden it's not like the recording is muddy, but it really feels like you keep coming back to, oh, when I was there, it just felt so different because every transient in the kind of part of, uh, of the grow- growl was aligned perfectly and so it was like a you know a, a submachine gun to <laughs> so to say especially when you have yeah. so many mics that are high frequency focused so uh, now I tend to yeah time align that way the, the more the low frequency content the more I do it that way I almost never do it with birds because they tend to sound natural no matter what
2: yeah do you use Auto line Or I, when I'm doing Time Align, I'll tend to either use Auto Align Post or actually the Azimuth plugin inside of um, RX does a decent job of time alignment as well.
3: Yeah. Uh, can you remind me, is Auto Align, do you mean like the plugin that is called Auto or the.?
2: Yeah, yeah. So it's like it's a dialogue alignment that's supposed to be used yeah. for like well, when you have multiple lavas, uh, right? right? Okay. And, and that actually does a really nice job of time alignment. Kind of like well.
3: Vocaline uh mm-hmm. it's not quite what i use i think what i use is a free plugin that uh goes for reaper um i don't remember the exact name i know it's pretty long and it's part of the sws uh, features but the idea is you know it listens for a master compares it to uh every yeah, other track and goes yep. this is mm-hmm. this yeah the delay that i suggest and it's kind of nice because it's fairly light so sometimes i will kind of Uh, drop it on a item like item basis meaning that instead of dropping it if you're a pro tools uh, person i don't drop it on the track i drop it on the regions so that i can kind of be very deliberate because you know even if the mics are placed a certain way uh, the same delay might not work for different takes because the animal moves (laughs) so it becomes very very tricky to get the perfect result with a kind of flat approach and this is why sometimes i use it sometimes i don't and other times i just kind of like uh have to do a mixture where I align some mics and not others, or if something just doesn't work with uh, in conjunction with another mic, which rarely happens. If it's something like the Sunken, I will probably high pass the signal up to you know twenty kilohertz, so I'm not even hearing the Sunken in real time, and then I bake it, and then I slow it down, and I listen, and I you know see if if it actually
0: worked. Dimitri, let's talk about the guinea pigs for a second because. Uh, yeah. They are pretty cool <laughs> sounding on their own, but they oh. really shine when you slow them down.
1: Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So, uh, as far as alignment uh, is mentioned, uh, with the guinea pigs, uh, I went uh, pretty nerdy. So, I use uh, auto line post and I even went as far as uh, slowing down it uh, four times. And then applying the auto-line post. Oh, wow. (laughs) Okay. That's cool. Maybe it's uh, overkill. I think that uh, just it does the alignment uh, even at normal uh, speed rather nicely. Uh, The idea of the guinea pigs uh, came from Jason Jennings. Uh, He contacted me on Slack and he's seen that I do some animals. And he asked uh, whether I have the recordings or can I do some stuff. And so we discussed what he needed. Uh, He needed just a normal speed, but rather close-up. And I tried uh, doing uh, close-ups, and my rig, uh, which uh, was developed during this project, uh, is like this. Uh, There's a cardioid from Nevaton, this uh, uh, MC-59C small mic. Uh, uh, Then on top of that sits another Nevaton mic, uh, it's called TWIN. There's only one sample of it. <laughs> I have it. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it looks like a figure of eight, but in fact, uh, it's two cardioids uh, facing uh, the opposite sides at uh, 180 degrees. So I get uh, three cardioids, uh, one uh, facing front and two facing uh, to the sides. This is my uh, LCR for the normal frequency range. And then on top of that sits one uh, CO100K. Uh, so this rig uh, is mo- was mostly used uh, for the group recordings. For the single ones, I just used uh, the mono because the pigs themselves are, are rather small and so th- I consider them just a point source. I don't think yeah. that they need uh, stereo with when there's one pig. The pigs themselves appear to be uh, an extremely difficult species for recording compared to the wolves. Wolves are big. Uh, you can't. Uh, it's difficult to get very close to them. But they are, at least they are loud. <laughs> they are not cats, but uh, cats, but they are not so noisy. Uh, guinea pigs uh, have uh, a rather heavy uh, body on very short, stiff uh, legs with big claws. So this thing is moving constantly. And in a normal cage, it's a storm of uh, useless sound. <laughs> very difficult to g- get the vocals. So it was an enormous number of attempts. To minimize the sound of their steps and their constant bumping into the walls of the cage. So I've built a special enclosure using uh, bus straps uh, as the walls, and there was a multi-layered uh, flooring uh, underneath to dampen <laughs> those steps. Uh, And uh, the pigs were put into this enclosure and then the mic was loaded there from the top. Uh, So then in post, I did the normal range stuff separately, uh, the sunken and then there's a stereo mix uh, uh, to uh, facilitate the usage of this mix at uh, any possible uh, speed. Yeah. So they sound cool uh, both at normal speed at twice speed, and uh, slowed uh, four times.
2: They seemed like they were very, they were vocal. I don't know if you were doing anything to cause them to to talk so much, but they were awfully chatty. Uh,
1: Yeah, uh, they were chatty when we were uh, uh, acquiring them. Then they uh, got completely silent for (laughs) about two weeks. (laughs) Yes, and we had to wait for them to adapt uh, to the new environment. They sat completely silent. Uh, Then uh, they start to talk to each other, but uh, they're they're small and they're fast. And their behavior also develops very fast. They fastly get excited and then uh, fastly get tired and silent again. Mm. So you need to catch these uh, periods of activity or uh, just put them separate. For instance, if you have two friends, put one apart and the other one uh, will call his friend. Yeah. Uh, then put them together. They just uh, start interacting. Then uh, one of them produces this very low frequency uh, bubbling sound uh, that is used either for expressing uh, his dominance or the the other uh, members of the collective. Or uh, it may be uh, the sound of pre-mating game. (laughs) Really, we didn't want any uh, young ones, so we prevented them from, (laughs) from real mating. So everything that's in the library is pre-story. <laughs> so you were about to say everything that is in the library is frustration.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, still, we had uh, they didn't uh, sit just in our home. We uh, every day we let them for a walk on the lawn. So it's, it was a rather a rather interesting story to keep them in our house to feed them. To take care of them, t- uh, to let them out for a walk, and then bring them back. Otherwise, they would yeah. talk t- so much. Also, there was some uh, the one gu- gu- guinea pig that reacted. Uh, first, we thought that she uh, she reacts uh, to the sound of vegetables being cut. Hmm. So she thought that uh, she will be uh, fed, and ki- she called for f- for meal, and we trained her, and then uh, tried to cause. Uh, uh, her uh, squealing, uh, optimistic squealing sounds, (laughs) this way. It appeared uh, that uh, her reflex is is a bit more complex. First, she had to hear that the uh, fridge is being opened. (laughs) (laughs) Then the vegetables was being cut, and then she missed the sound. (laughs) Only this way. (laughs) So they are really, really funny. Thinking
0: about the idea of the patience that is needed to record animals, you mentioned that you went weeks with them, not making any noise. Mateo, do you want to talk about uh, when you went to go record the Stanley Crane?
3: Yeah, sure. Uh, that was, uh, again, for the, if I remember correctly, it was the first collection that I, that I worked on. And uh, uh, this was one of the first trips I did alone and uh, just showed up uh, at the zoo and you know sometimes it will happen that the uh, chatty animals are chatty as you pass by and uh, and you immediately manage to get what you need uh and uh, and you can kind of move on other times you pass in front of an enclosure the animal is silent you wait for a little and uh, you know they will probably not be that chatty so you you keep going you know it's very hard to predict which animal will be chatty which one will not in this case what the worst case scenario that can happen is that an animal happens to be making the sound that will make three times a day exactly as you pass in front of it so all of a sudden you have this huge expectation of okay the sound was incredible i'm here so i'll just uh you know stick around for do it
2: again animal <laughs>
3: exactly exactly and so i think i was there for, for recording this specific animal for something like six hours uh, six hours of just kind of telling myself okay this is just the last take i'll just be here for another 30 minutes and then i'll just walk away i'll go to to record a few other animals and then i'll come back and uh, and um see if maybe i can get some more oh i'm back already (laughs) so it it was kind of never ending it got to the point where i think it was like the end of the day and i spent the entire day in front of this uh, enclosure and i still remember to this day that what i should have done (laughs) at least like thinking about it just uh, in hindsight there were capybaras that were very vocal there in that uh, in that place and i think i i just didn't know how hard it would be to record a capybara in the future and uh, to be fair i've never encountered that kind of crane uh since so i'm sure that what i did manage to record is fairly rare But capybaras have this very strange kind of miniature horse, eagle, owl kind of sound going on, which is a like a very interesting. And um, yeah, I thought on the day that it might not have been that easy to record, but uh, it definitely must have been harder to record that crane. So yeah, it's just funky how these mistakes are very hard to to avoid when you are in the spot and you're thinking, well, but. I think I have six uh, six takes and if I have eight, then maybe I can make uh, two files, but I would really like to have 10. <laughs> and so like you keep thinking about these things and maybe one goes off and you're like, was it off-axis? I don't know if it was off-axis, but I cannot stop and monitor <laughs> because if it will make the sound again, then I'll never forgive myself. <laughs> so there's all these things. And uh, especially with that crane, I remember starting to... Uh, things finally picked up when I managed to record it with my phone. Uh, because, you know, mix-free, it's very hard to then kind of immediately store the file on a computer and play it back to the bird. But if you manage to get a video of the bird with your phone, then you can actually play it back with audio and uh, and kind of put the phone behind your back sometimes. And that kind of prevents, in my head at least, it prevents the directionality of the sound from being clear and the origin of the sound from being clear. And so the animal starts to be more interested in uh, these uh, calls and uh, they may be able to have a conversation with themselves that makes sense, so that is what saved me that day that it kind of made it all worth it because I learned this kind of interesting lesson about uh, how to cut on time when uh, you have an animal that doesn't make a sound very often you can kind of try and uh, create a situation where the animal will make the sound a little bit more often that's a super cool trick yeah it's uh, <laughs> it doesn't work with everything, but interestingly enough, it can work even on uh, animals as big as lions, if you have the right speakers at the right distance. So I've had the same uh, kind of approach for recording uh, lion territorial calls. And we had like a Jeep with huge speakers, all doors open, and uh, we pretty much blasted these uh, territorial calls. Uh, The previous day I was there to try and record them and they didn't make a single sound. But uh, two minutes into the playback from, from the Jeep, which was like 300 meters away, and they started vocalizing, and at that point I was next to them. (laughs) Probably the craziest story that I have to to this day, I have something like a half-hour video of just me being next to them and them calling, looking at the horizon, thinking You know, I probably need to, uh, yeah, like uh, Dimitri was saying for the guinea pigs, different animals, but sort of same behavior of I need to assert myself here. Uh, But luckily, it was always kind of pointing at at the distance. So there was no menacing tones towards me. In fact, I felt pretty invisible at that time because the animal would just kind of go backwards and forwards without looking at me at all.
2: I was going to say, what does it feel like as a human being standing next to a lion in that proximity? that is doing its territorial calls like that. Like, there there has to be something there.
3: It's uh, incredibly humbling, I think. Uh, it's very different if you're recording roars, because when you're recording roars, you're just having to bypass, you know, that survival instinct of uh, flinching and uh, closing your eyes and trying to move, etc. But with the territorial calls, they are very different. It's a, just a different type of sound. It still shows the size of the animal, but it really doesn't feel meant... To be, threatening in the short term, if that makes sense. So, I can tell you, I can clearly recall my chest vibrating when hearing it, and because I was monitoring with a gun range headphones, so quite uh, you know quite a lot of padding, uh, I could feel all of that, but I could not really hear it because I was monitoring fairly quiet. So it didn't add up in my in my head. And then when I got home, I, I thought, wow, okay, that's kind of how it sounded, but interestingly enough it took me a really long time to to mix all the mics in such a way that i felt it was kind of representative of what i experienced on that day because i felt it so much more than i heard it <laughs> and so that yeah. that was uh, really really interesting
1: what about with wolves dmitry regarding the territorial calls uh the howling is their territorial call the territory is kept by the pack and so the pack howling designates that uh this is their territory uh and the other packs hear them and don't come don't cross the borders regarding the roars uh the growls yeah it's very intimidating The alpha couple, when they interact with each other, and that's not a quarrel. They're just expressing their love and some uh, lovely game, but uh, they are, they may be so loud and so scary <laughs> at that moment. There was uh, a, a very scary situation with the wolves, when the two wolves, uh, by accident, one of them uh, jumped over the three-meter fence and appeared uh, in the uh, enclosure of the alpha couple and the two males quarrelled and uh, I had to do something with that. No one else was uh, present. So the keepers uh, of the sanctuary asked me to try to lure uh, the alpha female into the enclosure where I was sitting. (laughs) And they said, and and you were uh, like,
2: okay, yeah. The
1: alpha (laughs) uh, male uh, is jealous. Uh, He will follow his spouse, and then uh, you just close uh, the gate, and uh, the two males will be separated. First, I uh, just uh, forgot that uh, the equipment is still with me, and I tried to lure uh, the alpha couple while the equipment was (laughs) still there. Then I remembered, pulled out the equipment. This all took, I think, four hours. But I succeeded.
0: Wow.
1: Wow. Damn. And that was quite an experience in this situation, to be with this alpha couple uh, in the same enclosure. Wow. That that was it. But I don't remember that I was scared at the moment. I was just uh, concentrating on the task, that I need to separate the two males, otherwise they will injure themselves or kill... <sighs> themselves. I remembered uh, that maybe something was recorded just uh, when I separated them and left this enclosure very slowly, uh, moving uh, along the fence out of the enclosure where the uh, alpha was uh, captured. And this accident uh, was recorded and made uh, maybe one third of the library then. And I thought that uh, I have uh, the moral uh, right to use the recordings. Wow. Wow. They were not intended. I didn't want to provoke something like this. But uh, no one was injured, so I had the right to use it. So uh, these are uh, uh, the quarrel uh, between the alpha male and this big young polar wolf. uh, Everything was uh, successfully documented. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) <laughs> that sounds very intense.:
2: That sounds so crazy.:
1: <laughs> The main idea, what uh, I can share from my own experience, uh, uh, I'm not a brave man at all. <laughs> uh, what I can recommend in this situation that uh, just be as calm as possible. Mm-hmm. watch everything, be everything uh, uh, be, be ready for everything. Don't be scared. I remember that that keeping the mic too close when this guy is roaring is uh, physically difficult. Uh, As uh, Matija said, uh, you uh, instinctively uh, back uh, back off when uh, you see uh, uh, these uh, teeth and this sound. Overall, uh, wolves and I think other animals uh, just feel uh, your intention. They feel if you are uh, aggressive or scared. And they reply with aggression. Uh, When you keep as calm as possible, uh, they uh, trust you. And uh, I was lucky to keep myself as calm as possible. Impressive.
3: Yeah, I feel the same way about that statement of animals being able to to read you (laughs) in a way. At the same time, I keep thinking the idea of separating the two males to get the male and the female in a cage with you. Yeah. you are a male, so <laughs> it's just that sometimes animals will not make that much of a of a distinction in between uh, you know humans and uh, and themselves, so to an extent, I feel like I would have been very worried uh, trying that out, but I guess in the moment you know that it mm-hmm. should be fine
1: I see what's uh, what we are talking about speaking about the polar wolf uh he can really uh behave like you say uh he can treat uh, a human like a Rival, like mm-hmm. another male, this alpha male is really a very clever, a very and a very experienced wolf. His uh, temper and his character is uh, really really well uh, developed. That is why uh, other wolves consider him uh, the master of the pack. He really can control himself and the situation around him. He is not uh, absolutely not stupid, and uh, he controls everything that's why the keepers told me that i can trust him mm-hmm. he will not attack me in this situation if i keep uh myself calm and uh predictable wow yeah he is really 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 different uh wolves uh have this family hierarchy uh which is uh, very well developed uh in the wolf society the master of the pack is a really um noble guy i'd say mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. this wolf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome
0: Well, there's a million things that we'd like to talk to you guys about. We might have to incorporate a part two to this talk. With that, uh, let's wrap it up. Thank you very much for talking to us today. It was really interesting to hear your adventures with the animals and uh, also obviously super interesting to hear the sounds that came out of it. Uh, We'll put links to your various libraries up on the episode page for this one. So, uh, that's
2: beautiful work both of you did.
0: Thank you very much, Dimitri. Matea, it was great talking to you. Thank you. Thank
1: you very much. That was a great evening. A true pleasure. (laughs)
0: That was a fun talk. I'm always amazed at people who have such a good grasp of English as a second language. I would be lost if we had to do that interview in Russian. This episode was edited and mixed by Andrew Millad. Andrew is a Los Angeles-based freelance audio engineer and music producer. You can follow them on Twitter or Instagram at ShubuTime, spelled S-H-U-B-U, Time. Thanks so much, Andrew. It was awesome working with you. Andrew will be getting a free copy of the amazing sound library, Sonic Springs, from Katrina Amsler. You can find a link to this library on this episode's page. On behalf of Matea, Dimitri, and Renee, my name is Tim Muirhead. Thanks for listening to Tonebenders. Stay tuned after the credits to listen to some of the amazing recordings we talked about during this episode. First up will be the guinea pigs, then a selection of animals from Matea. Finally, nice wolf recordings to take us out. Tonebenders is produced by Timothy Muirhead, Renee Coronado, and Teresa Moro. Theme music is by Mark Strait. Send your emails to info at Follow us on Twitter via at the Tonebenders and join Tonebenders Podcast on Facebook. Support this podcast. You can use our links when you shop with Amazon or B&H, or leave us a tip. Just go to tonebenderspodcast.com and click the support button. Thanks for listening. Are you looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? Tonebenders is part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.